Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of the Roto World Football Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to episode one and subscribing via iTunes and Stitcher, SoundCloud, RSS feeds. We really love the support that we've gotten so far and the great feedback, but no one, zero, has rated or reviewed us on iTunes or any platform. That needs a change. Please take just 20 or 30 seconds. It would really help us out. If you would just leave, you know, perhaps a nice, kind comment about this podcast. We're only going to get better. Um, later in the podcast, I'm going to be talking with Matt Harmon of NFL.com and Reception Perception about this entire 2016 wide receiver class. It's an awesome discussion that we talked about so many points, and Matt really is a true expert at the position. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to discuss free agency and trades and how it really impacts the draft And first is the DeMarco Murray trade from Philadelphia to Tennessee. And we've seen that the Titans said that they wanted to add an exotic smash mouth element to this offense. And that wasn't the case with Bishop Sankey as the lead ball carrier, but it can be with DeMarco Murray. It's obviously an upgrade at the position, but they cannot stop there. They have to add more talent at center and then find another starting guard because that was truly the weakness of this offensive line. Not only will they help them in the running game, but also in the passing game and protecting the interior of the pocket from Marcus Mariota. Um, then the Cincinnati Bengals are, by all accounts, losing two wide receivers in this free agency session. And one is Marvin Jones, the Detroit Lions. The other is Mohamed Sanu. And we know that A.J. Green is a fantastic receiver. We know that Tyler Eifert can dominate the seam and is a true mismatched target. But the Bengals will have to add another receiving target. And I guarantee you it will be in the first or second round. They have picks number 24 and pick number 55 in the first and second round, respectively. And the receiver that stands out to me is Michael Thomas, the Ohio State wide receiver. He reminds me so much of Michael Crabtree and would be a great asset with that yards-after-catch capability on the opposite side from A.J. Green. I think Michael Thomas can go in there and play very early on. And finally, let's discuss the Philadelphia Eagles moving into the top 10. And the obvious question is if they already have their eye on a certain quote-unquote top 10 grade. And if I had to point to one name, it would be UCLA linebacker Miles Jack. To me, he's the number one prospect in this entire draft. He is a big play threat, not only in coverage, but also against the run. And he is a true foundation piece 
of an NFL defense. And this plays in exactly what we want to do every single week, which is go through a top five at each position group. And you talk about defensive playmakers in this draft, and not so much at linebacker, but defensive tackle. Defensive tackle is the strength of this draft, and I could see a number being selected in the top ten. So the number one defensive lineman in this draft to me is Louisville's Sheldon Rankins. I'm not going to say he's Kawan Short, but to me he can win in the exact same ways. You have a great athlete who understands how to use his hands, uses leverage, has great movement skills on the interior. You put him at three technique, which is right outside of the guard, and he can really get upfield, disrupt, and get after the quarterback and make plays in the backfield. Um, That's kind of a common theme among these defensive tackle prospects for me, and it goes right into Baylor's Andrew Billings. You know, he might be more of a one technique or even zero in some schemes in terms of playing right next to the center or on top of him. Um, But at Baylor, this guy was an animal. He was a monster. He was so good. Um, It it really does, though, depend on what games you watch because he did play two or three games that were injured. And I know that some might look at those games and, and question his skills. But to me, you look at the rest of his work, and he's a true top 15 talent in this draft and can instantly upgrade the interior of a defensive line. Next at number three is DeForest Buckner, the Oregon defensive lineman. And I know a lot of people have him as a top 10 prospect. I don't. I understand that he has all the tools and those tools show up in terms of arm length and size and athleticism, all the buzzwords. They show up against the run. But I don't see that awareness and that intent as a true pass rusher at this time. And I question if he can even grow into that. But at the very least, you know he's going to be a strong run defender, and he offers a unique frame that can be scheme versatile. And I think that's obviously a trait that a lot of teams will look for. Um, finally, at number four is Vernon Butler, the Louisiana Tech defensive tackle. And I always talk about combine measurements and, and athleticism, but Vernon Butler's a bit of a leap of faith here because he's not a good athlete, or at least didn't test like one. But to me, I see Mohamed Wilkerson. Um, I see someone that can play in a variety of linemen, outside the tackle, outside the guard, outside the center, use all over in sub-package situations, but again, has great movement skills and flexibility to get upfield and disrupt. I don't want tackles, defensive tackles, just staying at the line of scrimmage and being strong run defenders. Like I said, defensive tackle is considered the strength of this draft. But on the opposite side of that is the wide receiver class, which many people are down on. They consider it a weakness of the 2016 NFL draft class. I don't, but I wanted to go straight to the source. I wanted to go to the expert, and that is Matt Harmon of NFL.com and obviously of Backyard Banter. Matt has created a formula uh, and and a system of, of charting these wide receivers at the college level called Reception Perception that he really focuses on these receivers and the success that they have against different types of coverages and how they are after the catch. Um, Be sure to follow Matt at Matt Harmon underscore BYB um, and give his podcast a listen, the Backyard Banter Podcast. It technically is not football related, but it talks about NFL writers and how they got to where they are. All right, Matt Harmon, I am a big advocate for people that produce unique content. And I think if with all the football landscape and football content out there, it's it's very generic. So when someone comes along and finds their lane on a singular topic like you have with wide receivers, it makes my heart skip a beat just a little bit every once in a while. So I, I want to give you the floor quickly because I, I think you can probably explain it better than I can exactly what is reception perception. Sure. So reception perception, like you mentioned, 
is a unique piece of content. It's something that, you know, when I was starting out in the industry, I looked out there and said, what's something that I would like to see that isn't already out there that I can produce that people would be interested in? And one thing that I've always thought is the wide receiver position is incredibly anecdotally analyzed. And it makes sense because when you're watching a game on Sunday, you know, you're watching the broadcast angle, you can't see what the receiver is doing down the field. And more often than not, you're watching the ball anyways. But I think that receivers are, you know, you should judge them on a route to route basis because that's what they're doing at any time on a pass play is they're running a route, regardless of whether they get a target or not. They can tell you so much more about their game mm-hmm. just when you just center in on them. So that's what reception perception essentially is. It's a, it's a charting system that shows exactly what a wide receiver is doing on every route that he runs and pretty much gives you a full picture of what they are. You know, How often do they win a contested catch? How often do they run a certain route? How often do they separate on that? And then against what type of coverage? You know, So there's a lot that goes into it, but I think that it, it breaks everything down into a super easy to digest form for a reader. And it started off with just NFL receivers, and it's now since you're big time at NFL.com, you can look at college tape. So it now you have shifted it over into the college players as well. What's one thing that has stood out um, in that transition or when you watch those types of players that are obviously, obviously uh, professional now versus amateurs, I guess? Well, I think that one of the bigger differences is, of course, one, well, one thing that I have trouble with, I'll just say that I would question my process on, is I don't really know how to adjust for like defensive strength at this point i don't know how to do that at an nfl level but i think the differences might be even more stark at the college level because some of these guys will never even you know sniff having nfl dreams and if i'm charting a guy that's going against a cornerback like that it it can be a little bit troublesome so that's one thing that i've i've worried about about when charting these guys i also think that one thing that I've come away like taking taking away from doing college guys versus NFL guys, that I think the idea that prospects that get criticized for not running a full route tree, I think that's a very overblown comparison. And we hear there it every are, year, every year about. And it's I think that's one of those critiques that's very recycled. You know, it's an easy one to fall back on, and it's something that, to be honest with you, and I don't mean to sound cynical, but like an analyst can say that, and if because it's something that a fan will hear it and be like, oh, yeah, that's a smarter thing than I would have thought, so it must right. be true, you know, and, and I think that's a, a larger point about the industry, but, yeah, so, the, I mean, outside of a few really extreme examples, there are a lot of these prospects that get criticized for running a, not running a full route tree, but are very similar to NFL players that don't run a full route tree, and, again, I think that speaks to finding what a player does well and asking him to do that over and over again. So you've already charted 21 receivers in this 2016 class. And at the top for you, and by all means, it, it, it apparently seems clear in your eyes that it is Laquan Treadwell, the wide receiver from Ole Miss. Well, while everyone else has criticized him, had their own questions, um, wondered if he is a quote-unquote true number one wide receiver in the NFL. So if you want to make Laquan Treadwell's case right here, right now, I'll give you the floor. Well, I don't really see him having a clear weakness, and I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. You know, one thing that people never seem to bring up with Treadwell is how good he is after the catch. He consistently 
makes people miss on first attempt to bring him down. And I think that is also like, for one that speaks to his power as a player, which we hardly ever talk about with receivers, but receivers that can play with strength and power after the catch and in route are very valuable. And I think he definitely fits that bill, but he also has quickness to his game. And I think you see that when he's playing in the open field, Um, he consistently separates on not only underneath routes slants in particular he has one of my best success rate versus coverage scores on slants he also gets separation on nine routes and i think that Mm. speaks to something that we always hear his his speed criticized i don't necessarily think he is over like too slow you know i mean he might not be the fastest receiver in the nfl and certainly not in this draft class but there's also ways to succeed as a deep threat without being incredibly fast and that also speaks to his ball skills to his what I think is a better route running that he than he gets credit for. To be honest with you, I just and I don't see the the, the problems with separation that others do. You know, mm-hmm. I I only do a, a handful a sample of games where I think the data tends to normalize, and perhaps those are the games where he just showed good separation skills. But but I think that is important. Like that means that that ability is there in him. Like he, his reception perception can't be this good, and also he has trouble with separation. I think that's an overblown criticism. So it's potentially some groupthink there in terms of if he's slow, that means he can't separate. But there are a lot right. of other ways to separate, even if he's not a four-four, four-five guy. Certainly, and I think that I was. I know I was quoted earlier in the offseason saying like the Alshon Jeffrey comparisons don't do him justice, and I think that I still stand by that. Like. Jeffrey is that powerful player that he might not create elite separation, but he's great at playing the ball in the air. And I think that Treadwell is also great at playing the ball in the air, but he definitely has more quickness as a player than someone like Jeffrey does, which is why I think he has, you know, more ups. Like Jeffrey's a great player. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not, but I think Treadwell has more individual upside in a way. And let's take this conversation with Treadwell one step further, because I think teams when they evaluate and, and look at the um, whole group of wide receivers every single year, they want to figure out which one can be a number one wide receiver for their team. And I think that that label could be argued and debated throughout the entire league. But what one, what does a number one wide receiver mean to you if they even exist and how many exist? You don't have to give me a certain number. But two, should Treadwell fit in that classification? I think that there are not 32 number one receivers, so there is more of a demand than there is a supply. If you're just talking true number one guys, I think those people, those individuals should be coverage dictators. They should be someone that you can rely on in all phases of the game. And again, I think that Treadwell does fit that bill because, like I said, he's great after the catch. He's great at the catch point. Um, he has some drops, but we'll probably expand on my feeling on feelings on those later. Um, he also just – like. I, you know how big of a fan I am of Allen Robinson. Right. Uh, when he was coming out of school, a lot of people viewed him as somebody that didn't have the speed or the separation ability to be a number one receiver. But he, as soon as he hit the NFL field, you could see that he was far more advanced than he was given credit for get, coming out of college. And I think Treadwell could be a similar sort of player. Like We didn't think he was this good all along to somehow now be coming up with these questions. And that's kind of what it feels like to me. And I know, moving on from Treadwell, that one of your favorites in this class is Oklahoma wide receiver Sterling Shepard. And a lot of other people might not have him as the top two or three receiver in this class. And granted, all receivers do different things. But what do you like so much about Sterling Shepard? Because I've seen you, from the beginning, heap praise on him. Yeah, well, Shepard is just incredibly polished. And I think that that is 
rare for a college receiver. I mean, like, there are guys that run good routes in college, but Shepard already looks like an NFL player running routes, and I think that's going to endear him right away to his NFL team. If you remember back to the fabled 2014 class, you know, Dave Gettleman, the Carolina Panthers GM, he prays on Odell Beckham right after the draft for being the best route runner in that class. And while I'm not comparing Shepard to Beckham (laughs) as far as players, that's who Shepard is in this class. And you saw that Beckham was able to overcome missing training camp preseason, the first few games of the regular season, to immediately grab a role in the NFL because and it's because of that advanced route running in college and I think that Shepard will have that same effect now there are questions about Shepard as far as can he play outside I personally I think he can I think that some of his jumps at the combine and and his overall 40 time some of the athleticism that he showed there I think was even more encouraging I also think that there is he's just so good against press and tight coverage that he can definitely evolve into that outside receiver now if he's going to advance along the arc like the antonio brown odell archetype then he needs to get better in contested situations but again i think that and he flashes that sometimes agree he definitely flashes that there are some very strong catches that he performs in the contested situations and also again i come back to those jumps at the combine again makes me think that that's somewhere inside of himself you know and so that gives me hope that he can continue to develop in that way Uh, i just think he is incredibly easy to translate very polished and nuanced and that like in my the way i watch receivers on a route to route basis that's going to be something i heavily emphasize and to again take a singular prospect and and talk about a, a bigger topic here Sterling Shepard, as you mentioned, a lot of people are going to look at him as strictly a slot receiver. And it makes some sense because that's what he frequently did in college. I think it was something like 72 or 76% of his catches were made Mm -hmm. once aligning from the slot. Um, And and, and so the question is, how much of a value drop is there if he's purely a number three slot receiver on an NFL team or if he can go out there and be trusted to win one-on-one in two wide receiver sets? Well, I think there's obviously a difference in value, but we know that the spread offense is is, in, is influencing the league more and more as years goes on. Uh, there are more teams that play more three wide receiver sets than ever, so I think that there's still a ton of value for that guy. And also, like you can like you look at Julian Edelman played more snaps outside this year than he has at any point in any year of his career. You can use these quote unquote slot receiver types. And have them function as flankers, you know, like line them up off the line of scrimmage, get them that free release that kind of mimics the two-way go release they have as a slot receiver. Also, I just think that it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of overstated. Like slot receivers shouldn't at this point be a pejorative term for the position because of how much they're used and how much value they have. I, I mean, I wrote an article for NFL.com this year about the dangers of running your offense through a slot receiver. And I think that's very Cough, Jordan Matthews, cough. Yeah, Randall Cobb this year, even Jarvis Landry, like he was way too overused in the Miami offense. Like I think that those guys are good players, but they fill a certain role. And but I think that, like I said, I think Shepard can be an outside receiver, and I don't think it's too much of a knock. Also, it depends on what what type of team you are. You know, you're going to weigh a Corey Coleman or a, or a Sterling Shepard differently depending on the type of passing offense you want and the type of receiver that you need. So it just you just have to put the player into context, in my opinion. Well, let's talk about Corey Coleman, and I'm going to throw in my input on this one. I think after turnovers, big plays change the scope and the outcome of a contest. And I think Corey Coleman offers big plays better than any other receiver in this class, not only as a vertical 
uh, receiving threat with the ball in the air, but also with the ball in his hands after the catch because he can be electric now. He's only 5'11". There are a bunch of other questions. Um, but again, I rank Corey Coleman near the top or at the top of this receiver group, um, but would love to hear your opinion on him as well. I don't hate that at all. Um, I think that you're right. He is definitely the most reliable big play threat, I would say. And I'm all about embracing variance mm-hmm. at, in, in life, uh, in football, <laughs> and, and especially at the wide receiver position. And I think that Coleman definitely, of any player in this class, encapsulates that. Like, I understand why people would emphasize the knocks on him and let them let those hang them up in his evaluation. But in, in my opinion, I think the good far outweighs the bad. You look at a guy who's incredibly intense. He wins at the catch point for his size. He's a tough. He's tough. He looks like he is committed to his craft. I think the like the lazy comparisons. Let's just throw those out of the way. Like those are just. I think those are just people missing right. uh, missing the boat on on what's really going on in t- as far as his offense is concerned and what he's asked to do. And I think one thing that gets really underrated with Coleman, um, and you know, this comes from like talking with Smart Football, uh, Chris Brown on on Twitter and everything, and and reading some of his work on that offense. Those receivers have to really be adept at reading coverages and knowing when to sit down in zones. And I think that's that's portrayed in in Coleman's reception perception he has a high success rate against zone coverage he's really good on underneath routes and everything like that what he was asked to do he did very very well and I don't think there's a point to criticizing the player for the assignment that they were giving it they were given if they are executing that and I think that if there was one receiver in this class that like you told me five years down the road if they've hit their peak, they're a top 10 like receiver in the NFL. I think that is Corey Coleman. I don't know if he hits that peak, but if he does, that's where he could end up. I hope you're not just saying that because you're on my podcast, Matt. But I, uh... No, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> no, but here's the, thing. here's the thing with Corey Coleman, right? Like, for most of the negatives people say, like, I, I understand them, right? And, and I, I agree with them. But again, th- this is a receiver that can offer big plays in a variety of ways, and he shows that high level of ability in, in certain games. Like you watch that West Virginia game, and he shows that was the best game I charted this year. He shows getting off press. He shows um, uh, working through reroutes from corners. He shows physicality. He shows all of that. But then you go and look at the Oklahoma State game, and he shows almost the complete opposite of all that. And then those like final four games of the season, he played with a hernia. So there's even more questions. Um, but th- there was one comparison that I saw that I wanted to run by you, and, and Ben Natan threw it out, and I think it makes sense. Now, I think a lot of times when we talk about comparisons, people initially want to go to height, weight, and athleticism. But in terms of role, I think it can be even more important and more apt. And for Corey Coleman, I think Martavis Bryant with the Steelers, someone that can go downfield, win in those vertical matchups, um, and, and the deeper portions of coverage, but then also be used closer to the line of scrimmage with the ball in their hands and is a, a ridiculous big big play threat, but has some very much some inconsistencies about his game. So I know like from a size perspective, they're about six inches difference, but from a, a role perspective from an NFL team, it makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I think that does make a ton of sense. And if there's any player in the NFL right now that encapsulates that embrace variance idea, it's Martavis Bryant. Because, you, but at the same time, like I love, I love Bryant, and I think that he, if he continues on the trajectory that he's on, he will be one of the best receivers in the NFL. That's how talented he is, and I think he gets a little undersold for some of the more nuanced things that he's shown on a, you know, a flash basis. So again, I think that 
I think that's a great comparison as far as how you'd want to use them early on and the hope that you'd continue to develop them and get them into that regular regularly showing that ability status. So yeah, I like that. I like that comparison a lot. Let's talk more about variants and I'll just throw out Will Fuller's name and, and let you go with it. Yeah, Will Fuller's tough for me because I like him. Uh, I think other people like him more than me. Some of my colleagues, fellow analysts out there rate him as like a top five receiver in this class. I do not. I also think there's some been some buzz about him as a top 20 pick. I think that's probably a little too rich for me. Now, let's, I, I was one of the popular comparisons and a player that I like to bring it back to is a guy like Devin Smith last right. year. There, that gets thrown around a lot. Now, I did, as you mentioned, this is my first year doing reception perception on a full like full scope basis because last year it was just you passing me along some links to some all 22 videos that were on the internet, which I really appreciate. And I was able to get like five games of Devin Smith, which is below the, the sample size I set as threshold this year. However, he, in those five games, he scored like system breaking well for a deep threat, like on nine routes, vertical routes down the field. However, he also showed great ability in contested situations. He overall showed a, a real strong ability to track the ball in the air and also when I look at a deep threat, one thing that makes them really easy to – Martavis Bryant's a good example. Um, Mike Wallace in his prime was another one. Travis Benjamin, who just got signed today, is another example of this type of deep threat. They're great at running the, the fly routes down the field, but they can also separate on slant routes and curl routes because those are easy targets for a quarterback to hit. Now, another deep threat that is currently in the NFL, who I think compares really well to Kenny Stills, or, I'm sorry, I just blew it, <laughs> to, to Will Fuller. <laughs> that was so bad. Uh, to Will Fuller is Kenny Stills. Mm-hmm. Because the difference between those guys I just mentioned and Stills, is Stills does not run great like intermediate routes as, or short routes as far as slants and curls are concerned, but he runs really good outbreaking routes, which is what Kenny, or God, I keep messing their names up, but what Will Fuller does in his reception perception sample is he runs some of his better, other than just the nine route, his good routes are out routes, some of those things breaking to the boundary. And so I I think those two are really comparable players, and I think that's why still succeeded so well with an, with a really great quarterback right. in New Orleans, but did not so much in Miami this year. And maybe there were other things going on, health, off the field stuff, whatever. But I think that that is an important comparison to make. So it's to me, I like Fuller, but other people like him more than me. Yeah, and and with Will Fuller, what stands out is his easy speed, right? Once he hits that, I mean, he really does have a fifth gear at the top of his routes just to pull away from defensive backs or in his hip. And to me, that's obviously what stands out. But then you talk about the Devin Smith comparison. Like, Devin Smith was so good at leaving his feet and going up and winning those contested situations. And I'm not saying Will Fuller doesn't do that, but he's not nearly as good, in my opinion, as Devin Smith. So while they theoretically win in the same area of the field – I think that Devin Smith can was just so much stronger at the catch point, and so they're somewhat incomparable in that one trait. Um, but obviously, another thing that stands out with Will Fuller is drops, because it's one of the highest drop rates in all collegiate football in this class, in the 2016 class. And Matt, you wrote an awesome piece about how drops can kind of skew your perception of a player. Right. Yeah, I wrote this a few weeks ago. It was called about it was about negativity bias and how that influence influences our wide receiver evaluation, particularly about drops. And it's the the whole psychological theory behind it is like you're just more prone to in real life emphasize these negative things that happen to you far even like so 
just for example, and I'm, I'm really trying to make this as simple as possible to not go over anybody's head, but like if like nine positive things happen to you in a day, but your car gets towed, you're going to always talk about your car getting towed. That like your whole day is going to be about this was the day my car, my car got towed, despite all the other positive things that happened to you. And same thing, that negativity bias influences the way we look at wide receivers. Like a wide receiver could run a ton of clean, great routes and get great separation, maybe even catch 10 passes in a game. But if they drop a big pass on third down, especially as a fan of the team, you're going to, you're, you're going to have a visceral reaction. You're going to feel that negativity far more than you far than you felt the positive events that just occurred. So to me, I think drops are way overstated, which is why when I'm, critiquing will fuller i try not to start with the drops because i think that same thing it's it's tough anytime you put a ton of work into a wide receiver and you think you have a conclusion about their game but the first thing that somebody brings up is yeah well they have drop issues it's like well that's fine but i like to focus on what the player can do hey, not what he can't I do like you know I like right that, i'm i'm like what what does the player do that make makes the drops worth living with you know kelvin benjamin Trello owens those guys you know we know the names so let's do a couple quick hitters. We're running a couple slant patterns here. It seems like Metrics Twitter loves this receiver from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Can you give your input on this receiver from Pittsburgh, Tyler Boyd? Well, I think the Boyd evaluation is is pretty simple. When you look at his reception perception, when you watch him, uh, he's a he's a really nuanced, uh, advanced route runner as far as a collegiate player. But the problem is he's nuanced and advanced in his routes but he's still not separating routinely so that to me brings in like questions about his athletic ability which i think were realized at the combine and i think that boyd offers a role in the nfl you know a a a potential slot flanker type receiver that you can throw to at the catch point on third down and know he's going to come down with it but i also think that that's an incredibly replaceable asset in the NFL. I mean, you look at the Panthers signed 33-year-old Jericho Cotri a few years back and pretty much got that role. So to me, why are you going to invest a first or second round pick in Tyler Boyd when you could sign, you know, that sort of player off the street or even get them in the fourth or fifth round? It's it's like um, just comparing it to a different position. It's like a run-stuffing defensive tackle with a big right. body that you know that can just... And for me, Tyler Boyd played better when he was using the slot this year too, so that kind of goes back to our previous discussion. Um, finally, we'll leave you on this one. Um, who is your favorite draft sleeper or draft gem at the receiver spot? Yeah, I think I have two this year. And like one is Richard Higgins, but you know, there's a lot of athletic odds that he has to beat, which kind of has me sad right now, but I love Higgins and I will, I will still trust my process on that one and, and believe in what his reception perception shows is that he's, a, you know, a strong player in all phases of the game and clearly a guy that if he develops can contribute at a high level. Um, and the other guy that I actually just wrote up for NFL.com, but I think that Malcolm Mitchell is a guy that really does not get enough attention. A guy that flashes, strong polished routes really good nuance and if he can expand those flashes to being what he shows on a route to route basis i think that he will be a a contributing player in the nfl he has good ball skills he has good release moves at the line of scrimmage he just needs to work on again playing with consistency as far as his route running is concerned because this is a guy that clearly has athletic ability right he has he has some strong polish in his game it just needs to level out somewhere there in the middle and then i think that this is a guy that could surprise people early on matt uh really appreciate you joining me for this second episode 
thank you so much for having me on the uh, Reception Perception podcast tour. (laughs) (laughs) Like I told Matt, I always try to find content producers that specialize in one area of the game, of the game of football. And Matt, his work on wide receivers is really unparalleled, and and it's so awesome. And I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Anyways, I'm babbling. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you've listened to the first two and like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any of the RSS feeds. And if you want to take it a step further, leave us a good review. Leave us a good rating. We'd really appreciate it. It really helps us reach out and find new listeners of this podcast. Speaking of other podcasts, you can also find Roto World's Fantasy Basketball Podcast in iTunes. Steve Alexander, Mike Gallagher, Ryan Naus, Nick Minzio, and Jodis Nader discuss everything happening in the NBA and daily fantasy basketball. But for us here at the Roto World Football Podcast, we'll talk to you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big.